For quite some time, Donald Trump has wanted to brand Antifa as a terrorist organization, only he can't really do that because it's kind of a loose knit ideology with various cells. Now, the individual cells themselves can perhaps be named as domestic terror organizations, but typically law enforcement is reticent to do this because of free speech issues. However, a couple months ago, the DHS did start looking at Antifa violence as acts of domestic terrorism. Bill Barr recently clarified this, saying that they investigate the actions and the crimes taken by Antifa as acts of terror, but they're not labeling the group as such. But now we're learning through leaked documents, the Department of Homeland Security is investigating alleged Antifa protesters as terrorists trained in Syria. And this is kind of obvious to anybody who's read any news for quite some time, because there literally are photographs of American citizens in Syria flying the Antifa flag. Now, one of the reasons they can't necessarily declare Antifa a domestic terror organization is because there's no such declaration for groups. But if Antifa was secretly being funded or trained or certain groups were by international sources, well, now you've got international terrorism. And let's just make one thing clear. For one, when something is illegal, I'm not a big fan of adding things to it like, you know, like hate crime laws or terror laws. Terrorism is typically defined as essentially breaking the law, threatening someone for some kind of political or social goal. But if they're already breaking the law, let's just get them on, you know, how they're breaking the law. But when it comes to international efforts, then we've got actions taken to try and seriously harm our country, in which case you could theoretically even argue treason individuals in this country taking up arms against it alongside an adversary. Now, I'm not saying the people that are doing the trainings in Syria or the people who are being trained are doing it because they're trying to destroy this country. Typically, they were fighting ISIS and other groups. But if they come back and they use these tactics, subversion tactics, propaganda tactics, military tactics here in this country against this country and law enforcement, sounds like we got a case of domestic terrorism. And perhaps with international ties, you could then declare Antifa to be terrorists. Now, we're looking at the 68th night last night of violence in Portland. And sure enough, the media seems to be on the side of Antifa. Hey, that's just how it's been. Not every single person in media, not every single outlet, but for the most part, mainstream news organizations defend Antifa with false arguments. Notably, Newsweek does it in this article saying, but what about the far right? Sure, they're bad too. Doesn't change the fact that Antifa is engaging in terror, especially if they're being trained in Syria. So we've got some breaking news about what's going on in Portland, because yes, the violence has not stopped, even though they're trying to push this fake narrative that once the DHS stood down, it was all calm. Key word, though, they say relatively. Yes, it's not as crazy as it has been, but it's still really violent. And just the other night, Apparently, some Antifa woman got stabbed in the chest. Okay, so I wouldn't consider that to be peaceful action. People are clashing in the streets. And perhaps without police, these far leftists are actually less safe. Earlier today, I did a segment about people who tried to go to the Seattle police chief's home and armed locals came out and chased them off. Now you see in Portland, when the police are standing down near the courthouse, the protesters themselves are getting hurt. So some people have said, that these far leftists don't realize when they come out, the police are there to varying degrees for their protection, because there are angry people on the other side who would theoretically engage in more dangerous behavior against them because it's now going on to night 69 
of the riots. That would be tonight. We'll see how that plays out. But let's read the news and see what's going on with this investigation into Antifa as a ter- as terrorists trained in Syria. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give. There's a P.O. box if you'd like to send things. But the best thing you can do, share this video or actually just subscribe, but either really helps. About half the people who watch my channel, uh, watch my videos aren't subscribed to this channel. So if you want to get more then subscribe, but sharing really does help because, you know, it spreads the word and helps the channel grow in that in that way. But let's read the news first from Newsweek. And mind you, this story is quite biased. They say DHS investigates alleged Antifa protesters as terrorists trained in Syria. An intelligence report from the Department of Homeland Security states that anti-fascist activists, Antifa, are being investigated as possible terrorists with affiliations to Syria, even though no self-identified members of the loosely affiliated Antifa protest movement have either been proven to commit any murders or carry out any terrorist acts. Attacks, sorry. Now, what's funny about this is they're currently being investigated as such by the DHS, as far as I can tell. I'm sorry, by the DOJ, not DHS. DOJ to treat Antifa involvement in protests as domestic terrorism from Axios May 31st. So maybe we haven't yet seen those convictions, but I think it's stupid to say that you can't look at someone throwing a Molotov at someone else and screaming some political ideology and say that doesn't fit the mold. And it's also really dumb to say simply because they're not successful that they don't get to be deemed terrorists. They haven't killed anybody. So they're still bad and they're still engaging in terrorism. In fact, I would argue it's more insidious, more nefarious. What Antifa does is they use low tier tactics to make sure you're scared, but not to draw enough attention to themselves. Dum-dums in media then come out and say, but they never killed anybody. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, there was that one guy in Dayton who posted a bunch of pro Antifa messages, but we don't know what his motivation was in the actual attack he carried out. But so what? It's not a requirement to literally hurt, like kill people. It's just that you engage in violence for political reasons. The July 14th report entitled The Syrian Conflict and its Nexus to the U.S.-based Anti-Fascist Movement states, Antifa is being analyzed under the 2019 DHS Strategic Framework for Countering Terrorism and Targeted Violence. According to a copy of the document obtained by the progressive political magazine, The Nation, it received a copy from someone who previously worked on DHS intelligence. I'm going to stop you right there and just point out there's no need for some special report on this. I've got the proof and it's actually really easy. It's just this article from NPR back in 2018. Here we can see dozens of Westerners join Kurds to fight ISIS in Syria and they are flying the anti-fascist action flag. Now you can say that go fighting against ISIS is noble or whatever, but listen, that's not the point. The point is, if a group of people in a foreign country flying the Antifa flag uh, are engaging act- in, in activities, these people come to the U.S. with this training and are engaging in activities that are considered to be domestic terror, but they have international training and are tied to other groups internationally. Well, now we're dealing with overt international terror groups. Perhaps then Antifa could be dubbed terrorism. Now, let me just clarify, though. It's not about Antifa, that one word. It's about these specific Antifa cells that have members, have founders, have leadership. And I'm going to show you their own words to prove it. I bring receipts. A lot of people try saying Antifa is not even a group. It simply means anti-fascist. That's not true. It's a clever semantic game so that anybody who opposes violent terroristic authoritarianism, they say, well, then you must be fascists. No, 
Opposing your psychotic behavior does not make me a fascist. You are closer to fascist than anybody else. Now, I get it. Antifa are not fascist. That's another important distinction people don't get. Fascism has ties to nationalism. They're not. They're, they're total open borders types. And it has to do with ultra traditionalism. They're ultra progressive. They're authoritarian communists. You see, there's a difference. And they're both really bad, really bad. The report details more than half a dozen people identified with various far left causes who have been, who have personally visited Syria to fight alongside Kurdish factions. The factions include the YPG, the People's Defense Unit, the PKK, the Kurdistan War Workers Party, and the uh, Peshmerga, military forces that provide security for Iraq's autonomous Kurdistan region. None of these organizations are currently listed by the U.S. as terrorist groups. Ah, but here's the important point. Antifa is being investigated. These individuals are investigated for domestic terror, and they're being trained by people who fly that flag as well. Well, there you go. There appears to be a clear connection between Antifa ideology and Kurdish democratic federalism teachings and ideology, the report stated. U.S. Customs and Border Protection concern about an interest in these individuals stems from the types of skills and motivations that may have developed during their time overseas engaged in foreign conflicts. Mind you, one of those tactics will be the manipulation of the public, press relations and propaganda. That's why Antifa knows better. That's why in Portland, what they do is they hand out explosives to other people so you can't catch the people inciting the violence. And that happened to some guy, what was his name? Uh, Gabriel Agard Berryhill. Some dumb young 18 year old was handed an explosive. So he says, and he threw it and they don't know who actually gave it to him. But this is a common tactic from Antifa. They say, while the report said that Antifa and the Kurdish factions share some Marxist, socialist, communist and anti-fascist ideologies that are sometimes far left and utopian. The report also concluded that apart from a single instance derived from open source reporting, there's no evidence of centralized foreign efforts to command Antifa affiliated U.S. citizens once they return to the U.S. after fighting abroad. One person named in the report, Bruce Belden, said, I am not now, nor have I ever been a member of any Antifa organization. Stephen Aftergood, director of the Federation of American Scientists Project on Government Secrecy, told the nation that he fears that by labeling Antifa as a foreign supported terrorist organization, the federal government may be making it easy to subject protesters affiliated with the movement to warrantless searches and surveillance that would otherwise be illegal and unconstitutional against U.S. citizens. Okay, I am not a fan of creeping authoritarian power or executive authority, but I would simply just ask these people not to fly abroad and join in military combat with Marxist, far leftist, anti-fascist, Antifa specifically groups, come back to the US and use those tactics against this country. In which case, you will expect to see law enforcement come after you if you're trying to subvert the democratic systems in our own nation. They mention on July 27th, President Donald Trump said that he wanted to declare Antifa as a terrorist organization. But mind you, This is back in 2019. And the story we're seeing now very obviously is from just today. I think Newsweek got their dates wrong, but sure. They say a a terror attack, according to the Patriot Act, is dangerous to human life, violation of criminal laws, seeks to intimidate or coerce a civilian population. Here's what they end up saying. The autonomous groups that make up the Antifa movement generally oppose neo-Nazis, fascism, white supremacists, racism, and other types of extreme right-wing ideology. While some Antifa members have engaged in vandalism and physical violence, they have not yet been linked to any killings in the U.S., according to the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Other known hate groups that have committed murders in the 21st century haven't been designated as terrorist organizations by the United States either, because they don't designate 
anyone, domestic terror organizations. But if they are getting, I'll tell you what, like, it's really, really simple. Any far right group that is getting support internationally, slap that label on them, foreign supported terror organization. The same is true for Antifa. But Antifa knows better than to engage in extremist tactics, but they do. And they have a man went to an ice facility with a ghost rifle and firebombs and attacked it. He fired at people. Fortunately for us, this guy was unsuccessful. But now the media gets to run wild saying, see, they've never killed anybody. Yeah, but not for lack of trying. They certainly are trying. They have tried several times and they use different tactics like giving weapons to other people so they can say wasn't us. But there are branded cells with founders and members. Some of these groups you can actually join so long as you're friends with some of these individuals. Now, I'll just point out again, back on May 31st, they say Attorney General Bill Barr said in a statement Sunday that the Justice Department will use its network of 56 regional FBI joint terrorism task forces to identify the criminal organizers and instigators of violence during the George Floyd protests, including Antifa and similar groups. Barr, President Trump and other members of the administration have pinned the blame for riots and looting over the past few days of protests against police brutality on Antifa, a loosely defined far left movement that uses violence and direct protest, direct action protest tactics. But we're going to I'm going to keep this one specific. I'm going to show you a specific organization. But first, I want to talk about the latest news. Cruz, ahead of Antifa hearing, describes riots in U.S. cities as organized terror attacks. These violent riots are not spontaneous, nor are they mere coincidences, Cruz says. But by the time you're watching this video, there will have been a hearing before uh, before Congress about Antifa violence. Fox News reports. Ted Cruz is aiming to highlight the role Antifa and like-minded groups are playing in riots across the country, convening a Senate hearing Tuesday on the issue on the issue while alleging that radical left-wing groups are engaging in organized terror attacks designed to tear down government institutions. He says, across the country, we're seeing horrific violence. We're seeing our country torn apart. Violent anarchists and Marxists are exploiting protests to transform them into riots and direct assaults on the lives and safety of their fellow Americans, Cruz told Fox News in an interview. On Tuesday, Cruz will chair a hearing of the Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on the Constitution to investigate groups such as Antifa, which, while active for years, have recently escalated their presence in the wake of George Floyd's death in police custody. The hearing is called The Right of the People, the right of the people Peaceably to Assemble, Protecting Speech by Stopping Anarchist Violence. Okay, I got to stop you right there, Mr. Cruz. Anarchist is the wrong word. They're authoritarian communist for the most part. Some claim to be anarchists, but you can't be anarchist while simultaneously beating innocent random people in the street. Okay, and it's happened. This is not anarchy. While some of them are anarchists, for the most part, Antifa's affiliation is authoritarian communism. That's just the way it is. Okay, fine. But call it what you want. It is organized and it is terror. I'm going to introduce you now. I'm going to do something I haven't done before. And there's a reason for it because I don't like giving a promotion to specific groups who will then try and use it to their benefit. But hey, you know what? So be it. I want to introduce you to a group called Rose City Antifa. It is a specific closed group with organizers, with leaders, with somehow funding probably through themselves. They engage in violent activities. We have seen their photos plastered all over the place in Portland. They have been arrested. And I just want to point you to two important things they say on their own website. First, if you go to their website, they say, Rose City Antifa was founded in Portland, Oregon in October 2007, 
RCA was formed after a coalition of local people and organizations formed the ad hoc coalition against racism and fascism in order to shut down, you know, skinheads, blah, blah, blah. The point is it was founded. Founded by who? It requires a group of individuals to do the founding, does it not? So we can point out, they say that the group literally exists. The group was founded. Okay. It, it, there is a group. Oh, it, it's not, they, they say there's, but Antifa is not really a group. Or, no, 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 no. Stop. Just stop. Okay. Accept it. This is one of the named groups. And they literally say on their website where they have an FAQ, where people can ask to get involved, they say, we appreciate and value our community and couldn't do this without your support. You can send us tips if you see anything, share our social media posts and articles, attend events and rallies and participate in call-in campaigns. We are a closed group to members only. To members only. Rose City Antifa is closed to members only. The reason I'm saying that so many times is that when they say there's no membership of Antifa, (laughs) how do I join? Well, you ask them. You hang out with Rose City. You buy their merchandise. You talk to the founders and maybe it's closed to members and you can become one. They say if you are interested in joining, please send us an email with a little bit of information about you and what makes you interested in joining. There you go. You want to join. You just got to send them an email. So when we see more and more fake news saying there is no such group, listen, there's one and, th- and there's more than just one. What they do is they have different cells. They fly the same flag. They have the same ideology for the most part. And they work with each other when there are certain events going on to bolster their numbers. And they respect a diversity of tactics, they call it, which means they get violent. That's what they do. And, you know, points out just the other night, Antifa rioters blockade street near the Southeast Portland police building. They steal benches from a nearby restaurant to use as barricades. They end up trashing the street and leaving that there for others to clean like last time. And here you can see they've got a, a line of picnic tables. And now we have the story from the Oregon Live. Northeast Portland protests declared unlawful assembly during 68th night of demonstrations Monday. How do you have 68 nights of demonstrations? Who's bailing these people out? Where do they get shields? Where do they get explosives? Where do they get literally anything? And is Rose City Antifa involved? Well, based on some of the previous reports, it would appear so. Some of these people associated with Rose City are on camera talking about what they do and why they do it. And someone gets them out of jail. Somebody bails them out. To be fair, seems like Portland is completely unable to stop these extremists attacking their own town. So if you live there and you have a problem with this, you should have moved out a long time ago. So I'm not going to sympathize. But it got pretty crazy and wild last night. I'll tell you what. Check out this story. Portland man charged with assaulting deputy U.S. marshal with explosive device during courthouse protest. Let's talk about terrorism. In Portland, a man was arrested a couple days ago for throwing an explosive at the building. Apparently now this guy threw it at a person and he's being charged by the DOJ from justice.gov. U.S. attorney Billy J. Williams announced today that Isaiah Jason Maza Jr. of Portland has been charged by criminal complaint with assaulting a federal officer with a dangerous weapon and willfully damaging government property during protests at the Mark O. Hatfield U.S. courthouse on July 22nd. Keeping that in mind, I want to point this out. They say a crowd of about 150 people marched to a northeast Portland sheriff's office and rallied before being pushed back by Portland police, mirroring a similar confrontation that unfolded on Saturday. Another crowd of more than 100 gathered near the downtown Portland Justice Center, an event that also briefly turned tense as police appeared to make arrests. 
they say this was there, there were two different groups happen, uh, uh, protesting. Now, many people are trying to make the claim that the violence has stopped. And there's viral tweets because these people don't do any research. It is so annoying. They're like, hey, look, now there's no violence because the feds are, are gone. The feds are still there. They're inside the building the same as they've always been. The state sent state police forces to protect the building. And then the big riots split off and started going after Portland police because the feds aren't coming out anymore. You see how this works? Let me break it down for you. The first night they said everything was calm at the courthouse. They ignored the fact that 100 miles south of Portland, people were marching through residential neighborhoods fighting with police. The next day, we saw Portland protesters go to residential neighborhoods in the southeast of Portland. I believe Sunday was relatively calm, but it's not stopping. We're not we're, we're still seeing last night. They go to a police station and they fight with the Portland police. The Portland police have been you know, bashing people, arresting people. Where's all of the media to, to claim that Mayor Ted Wheeler is sending out a secret police force, his Gestapo? Yeah, nowhere to be found because the narrative is completely fake. Well, just the other day, as they claim everything was peaceful, without the police, we see arrests being made and apparently somebody got stabbed. They say, is this the right story I've here? Arrests during mass gathering at Kelly Building. No, I believe it's uh, here we go from Oregon Live woman wounded in downtown Portland stabbing. I'm just going to leave it there. That's the point. It was an Antifa woman who got stabbed. Someone showed up, was arguing with them, apparently turned around to leave and then came back and stabbed one of the Antifa ladies. This is what happens when there's no police out in control of the situation. And it's just total chaos. So I'm not, uh, you know, going to I'm not blaming the Antifa woman necessarily because she's the one who got stabbed. You have to understand that if you're going to be engaging in, if you're joining the fray with violent clashes and we saw a conservative get stabbed, I got, I, I'm not surprised that Antifa now got stabbed. But you know what? I believe they arrested this woman and, and good. They should. I think they mentioned that, uh, that she ended up getting arrested. They mentioned this. According to Portland police, officers initially found the knife that the suspect had used. But while police were securing the crime scene, someone picked the knife up and ran away with it. Police said they also said they encountered a hostile crowd while trying to investigate and decided to leave the scene. That's the point I'm making here. We can talk about the things they've engaged in, and we can also talk about how they generally just create an unsafe environment. 100% responsibility for the stabbing falls on the person who did the stabbing, not the anti-woman who got stabbed. But I will say responsibility lies on them for the fact that the police are now going to be unable to stop the person who did this, and then they ultimately had to leave because of the hostile crowd. So yes, it's still riots. There's still violence. And Antifa is still engaging in this behavior. Whether or not you want to you want to call what these, you know, unaffiliated idiots who are getting arrested and who are attacking cops, if you want to call them terrorists, that's going to be an opinion, I suppose. I would say they're absolutely engaging in acts of terror by trying to threaten people into adhering to their demands. But is it really Antifa at this point or is it Black Lives Matter? Let's be let's be honest. In the photo, in, in photos now going around, they're flying the flag of Black Lives Matter. But I think when we say Antifa, we're, we're referring specifically to it's a colloquial word used to describe these far left extremists. At any rate, if the DOJ is going after them as terrorists uh, or, or their acts, I should say, the acts they engage in as acts of terrorism, well, then 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 good. Like I said in the beginning, I'm not a big fan of someone, you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of taking, you know, things that are already illegal and saying, but because of this, it's more illegal. It's like the crime was already illegal. Arrest them for it and lock them up. 
We can simplify it that way. I do, however, think we need to consider the fact that many of these people are learning how to do what they do from international sources. And that's going to be very serious. It's not just, you know, in, in, in Syria. There's also people in Europe who are receiving training, who have friends, who communicate. These things are going to play a role in how we move forward in, uh, with, with protest movements. The far left will be better uh, uh, able to disrupt our systems in ways that draws little attention to them. So keep that in mind. Is Antifa a terrorist organization? Tech, I would say no on the basis of the broad term Antifa, not an organization. Is Rose City and other branded named cells, are they terrorist organizations? Well, it's up to the U.S. to decide, but they certainly do engage in terrorism, period. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews, and I will see you all then. Yesterday, Daily Mail leaked George Floyd body camera footage from one of the officers, and already the internet is split. Right now, this is a major trend on Twitter with hundreds of thousands of tweets discussing exactly what we see in this body camera footage. Of course, those more likely to be on the right are saying it proves George Floyd resisted. In fact, at one point in the video, he even says over and over again, hold me on the ground. He tells the officers to take him out of the vehicle and hold him on the ground. And then he loses his life. However, on the left, they're saying it proves the police overreacted. They, they took this man out of the vehicle and clearly they ended his life. Now, there's still a lot of problems here. I think you, they, they should not, obviously Chauvin should not have been kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. And these men should not have been kneeling on George Floyd. I think there's, if there's one thing I hope we can agree on is that when you watch this video, you realize they didn't need four cops, you know, to hold this guy down. He was resisting, but he was still, you know, walking with the police. He wasn't running away. He wasn't trying to flee, but he was absolutely resisting. Now I'm just going to say it right off the bat. I watched the footage. I believe Derek Chauvin may be completely exonerated of all charges. I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm saying that they have this video. When we see it now, enough doubt has been cast. I think based on the charges they gave this guy, Derek Chauvin will likely win. All of these cops will likely win. And we'll probably see more riots similar to what happened with Derek Wilson in Ferguson. And they just did another review again of the Michael Brown case and came up. No, nothing. Listen, if anything, I think we see from this video a real need for certain police reforms. I can understand, especially having grown up in Chicago, why a cop would approach a vehicle with his gun drawn on the guy. But immediately, this sends George Floyd into a hysterical state. We'll call it, we'll call it that. When you watch this video and you see how George Floyd is reacting, I mean, clearly freaking out. Obviously, I think it's fair to say you can sympathize. Look, man, if a cop came up to my door pointing their gun at me, I'd be, you know, kind of freaked out. However, I've been in situations like this and I did not respond the way that George Floyd did. You can't tell how, how any person would respond this way. I don't think based on the fact that somebody called in a counterfeit $20 bill or something, they should have walked into the guy's car with their gun drawn. But, but hey, look, I've seen videos. I've seen cops get ambushed. I understand why that may be the case. In the end, what we see is that George Floyd, while he is walking with police, absolutely resisting. He, he's, he's, he's just not complying. It's the easiest way to put it. He's begging. 
He's nearly crying. He refuses to get in the vehicle. He even says, hold me on the ground. Based on all these factors, based on the fact that a coroner's report said that George Floyd had drugs in his system, this is all casting doubt. What you need to understand when it comes to the legal system is not whether you can prove someone didn't do it or did do it. All that matters is, can you prove beyond a reasonable doubt the charges you have levied against the individual? In this case, you have these cops. The, the three other officers, I believe it's three, have been charged, I guess, with abetting, aiding and abetting a murder. The only problem is if there's no murder, then how do they get convicted either? It's a very strange circumstance, and I guess we'll see how it plays out in court. But as for Chauvin, they gave him third degree murder, second degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. And all of these things, I believe, I think he's going to easily, we'll see, it might be a political conviction, which would be scary. But this cop may be, uh, may be some indifference. But when you look at how George Floyd was reacting, and when you play the video, look, man, I, I, I'm watching this video. And I think if you play a video to a jury where he says, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground, I think like three or four times, they're going to be like, what should the cop have done if the man requested it several times? Now, maybe they went overboard. Sure. But here's what I'm going to do. Let, let, let's read this story. And then I've got several articles, uh, uh, some uh, explain exactly what happened. I want to talk to you about excited delirium and why they wanted to hold him down. And why I, I look, man, I'm just going to say it. I, I know the left is going to be like, oh, they're going to be all angry. Criticize the cops. Criticize them for, for coming out with their guns. Talk about police reform. All that good stuff. Fine. But you have to recognize the charges they placed on Chauvin were, were, were over the top. I think they were trying to appease the ideologues, and they're not going to be able to get this conviction. That's it. You, you think Chauvin is a monster? He did all these bad things? By all means, comment below and let me know all about it. I'm not saying anything about him personally. I'm just saying they charged him with crimes that they will likely not be able to prove because of this, this body camera footage. The Daily Mail reports, Police body cam footage shows moment by moment arrest of George Floyd for the first time from terror on his face when officer points the gun at his head, sobbing before he's shoved into a squad car and begging to breathe as his life drains away. I'm just, I got, I got, I got, I don't want to bury this man. He's in the squad car. No one is on him. No one's standing on him. No one's holding him down. And he's saying, I can't breathe. Perhaps he was suffering from a, from an underlying health condition. In fact, I believe the medical examiner said he was. So look, I, I think it's fair to say clearly kneeling on the guy's neck for, for, you know, almost nine minutes or you know eight or so minutes played a role in this. I think it's fair to point out. But are you going to get this guy on, on manslaughter and murder? I really don't think so. Let's read body camera footage from two cops accused in the murder of George Floyd is revealed exclusively by the Daily Mail today. And it shows a rookie officer terrifying Floyd by pointing a handgun at his head and another callously picking a pebble from the squad car tire just inches from the dying man and seconds before he draws his last breath. The tapes show in the minute detail how a very distressed Floyd begs Mr. Officer, please don't shoot me, please, man, before the struggle that ended with his death on May 25th. It also shows how belligerent cops cursed at and manhandled the sobbing suspect, ignoring his pleas for compassion. Floyd resisted as the cops tried to force him into the back of the car, telling him he suffers from claustrophobia and anxiety and how officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for nearly nine minutes, leading to his death, ignoring Floyd's repeated cries of I can't breathe. That's all still true. And I think police reforms all the way when you see this. Let me tell you, man, my personal opinion, I think you've got cops who deal with this stuff all the time. 
They also deal with people who lie, saying they can't breathe when they can, you know, sobbing and claiming to be claustrophobic when they're not. And this results in cops washing all of that away. So when they hear it, they say, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. We can't have that. Can you prove that they were intentionally creating this, this risk that would kill somebody? I do not believe you can. Perhaps though, perhaps. I, may, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I jumped the gun a little bit. I think perhaps you could see that kneeling on someone's neck could be a manslaughter charge for Chauvin. These other cops though, and these other charges, I just don't see it, especially after this video. Floyd has even heard predicting his own death. I'll probably just die this way, he says. Transcripts from the video were released in mid-July, but a judge in Minneapolis had ruled the video could only be viewed in the courthouse, meaning few people have had the chance to watch the powerful images. But the footage has now been leaked to the DailyMail.com, so the world can finally see the tragedy of Floyd's last minutes, as the cops were mindless of Floyd's anguish. You know, see, look, look, I'm not playing these games. The Daily Mail is clearly framing this as pro-George Floyd. Um, I'm not playing that game. The footage includes more than 18 minutes from Officer Alex Kong's body cam and 10 minutes from Officer Thomas Lane. They, they were the first two cops to arrive on the scene after a complaint that Floyd had attempted to pass a fake $20 bill to buy cigarettes at Cup Foods, a store in the Powderhorn Park section of Minneapolis. I'll just say right up, man. Somebody gets accused even of a counterfeit $20 bill. Walking up to his car with your gun drawn is a little excessive, man. Not only that, the guy was accused of having a $20 bill. This is, this, this, in my opinion, this is all way, way over the top. What are you going to do? How are you going to prove the guy intentionally, that George Floyd intentionally was like, ha I got a counterfeit 20. What if somebody passed him the counterfeit 20 and he didn't know it was counterfeit? But this is also a problem of education when it comes to uh, the American population, how to deal with law enforcement. I'll say, I'll say this first and foremost. What we're seeing here in the divide between the right and the left really comes down, in my opinion, to moral foundations. Conservatives who have a strong authority moral foundation will say, look, these are the police. They're doing their jobs you have to understand this. When they order you to put your hands on your head and get out the vehicle, you just do it. And guess what? I would have. I've been in situations like this. The cops come up. They draw their weapons on you. They force you out of your vehicle. You comply. Now, I understand people have pride, people have ego, and they're like, who are you to tell me what I, you know, okay, it's a good way to get charged. It's a good way to put yourself in unnecessary risk. And although you may have the right to bicker and fight with police, there's a strategic way to deal with this. And you know what? It seems like George Floyd was never educated on how to properly, you know, work and deal with police. It's interesting because they always talk about the talk. You've heard about this. It's where, uh, you know, a black parent will explain to their kid, what, you know, what it means being a minority in this country and how to deal with police. I also had that talk with my dad when I was a kid as well. And he told me when you get pulled over, turn the car off, turn the radio off, put your wallet and phone on the dash right in front of the steering wheel, keep roll the window down, put both of your hands on the steering wheel, you know, at, at you know, nine and two or whatever. When the officer comes up, he sees your hands, your wallet's right there in front of you. So when he asks for ID, insurance, registration, or whatever, you just reach up and grab it before the officer ever gets there. And the reason for this is you go around digging and reaching for stuff. They could panic and you could get hurt. Are, is that police overreacting? I think perhaps. But it seems that George Floyd didn't understand these concepts. When the officer says, put your hands on the wheel, put your hands in your head, he doesn't do it. And it, it, eventually he does. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't at any point. I'm saying he resists. He's like, no, no, no. Come on, man. No, no. He just, it's, it's, it's really, really frustrating. It, it is. If, if only George Floyd understood 
how to properly handle these situations. I'm not saying you should be happy that you have to do this. I believe police reform, you know, absolutely. We shouldn't have to live in a world where this is the case. But I grew up in Chicago and I understand why the cops, why you, why you act this way, why you put your hands up, why you put your, your keys and your, your, you pull the keys out of the ignition so they know you're not going to drive away. You have your wallet, your insurance registration right there in front of you. So they know when they ask you for it, you just grab it and you hand it to them and they can see what's in your hands. Maybe, maybe there's, you know, there's a world where we don't have to, to function this way. But when you live in a city with, with violent crime, this is the reality. George Floyd, however, was immediately, immediately emotionally reactive. And it could be that a gun was pointing his face. And that may have been a serious mistake on the part of the officers. 100%. Maybe they could, you know, reprimand the officer in some way or something for, for doing that. I don't know. But let, let's, let's, I'll, I'll just put it this way, man. None of this should have happened over a $20 bill. And it's unfortunate. And this is a class issue, in my opinion. I think that if George Floyd had the opportunity to learn about the law and, you know, had, had, had been given advice from lawyers in the past, he would have known. You keep your mouth shut. Listen, if he just said nothing, got out of the car, kept his hands up, it would have been over probably in a few minutes because they couldn't prove he intended to pass off counterfeit money. He, I, I don't know. He could have just said nothing. His lawyer would have been like, come on, somebody, somebody passed around counterfeit money. How do you prove he intended to, to, to do something in any way? Maybe there's some strict laws around counterfeiting. I don't know. But it stands to reason you keep your mouth shut. This is, this is, this is what they tell you, man. The lawyers will tell you, shut up. When you're getting arrested, detained, you say, I do not consent to the search. I do not answer questions. And I would like to speak with a lawyer. You can ask if you're being detained. This is a class issue. It really is. I think George Floyd, he didn't know these things. He didn't. So he gets extremely agitated. And I, I, I got to be honest, I think that it's fair to say someone points a gun in your face, you're going to get agitated. But it is it is difficult because he did resist. They say Chauvin and the fourth officer, Tao Thao, were called to assist. All four were fired the day after Floyd's uh, Floyd's death. Chauvin, 44, has been charged with Floyd's murder and the three other face charges of aiding and abetting murder. This is this is it's not going to fly, man. And there are going to be more riots. I don't know when this will all go down, but it's not going to fly. So listen, they, they, they go on to explain what happened. OK, let me I'll just tell you this because I'm not going to I'm not going to play the footage. They pull him out at gunpoint. He clearly resists. It takes them a, a little bit of time for him to finally get out. When they bring him to the police SUV, he resists. He says, no, I'm, con- I'm he won't get down. They can't pull him in. They try going to the other side They're saying, I'm going to pull you in. I'm going to pull you in. He's, he's saying things like, I can't breathe in the SUV. Then he says, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground. And he does this, I think, okay, I don't have the, I'm not sure I have the video pulled up. He does this around like the eight minute mark in one of the videos released by the Daily Mail. I heard that and I'm like, so you got a guy saying it several times, hold me on the ground. I'm sorry, man. You, this is why I think Chauvin might get exonerated. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's a good person, okay? I'm saying, he might get exonerated. Listen, over on the Wikipedia for Chauvin, they say he was arrested on May 29th. Hennepin County attorney Mike Freeman charged him with third degree murder and second degree manslaughter, making him the first white officer in Minnesota to be charged in the death of a black civilian. Under Minnesota law, third degree murder is defined as causing another's death without intent to kill, but evincing, evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life. I do not believe they will be able to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. He was a cop coming in. There was a suspect who was resisting, who had asked to be held on the ground. They say second degree manslaughter also does not imply lethal intent, 
but that the perpetrator created an unreasonable risk of serious harm or death. That possibly could fly. I'm not a lawyer, but in my personal opinion, as some random dude who reads news on the internet, for what it's worth, it stands to reason if Floyd said several times, hold me on the ground, then he didn't create an unreasonable risk. Chauvin didn't. I think you can cast a doubt on that. If you've got someone saying they don't want to be in the car, they're claustrophobic and anxious, and please hold me on the ground. So they do. Was it an unreasonable risk created by them or were they complying and trying to accommodate him in some capacity? And then they, you know, messed up. They, they screwed it all up. I know there's going to be the left. They're going to be screaming at me because I should only be saying that it's murder and blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, man. I think I think it gets worse. It does. Look, on May 31st, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison took over the case at the request of Governor Tim Walz. On June 3rd, Ellison amended the charges against Chauvin to include unintentional second degree murder under the felony murder doctrine, alleging that Chauvin killed Floyd Floyd in the course of committing an assault in the third degree. But how? Now, 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 now hold on, hold on. I've heard from many law enforcement, many military saying you never kneel on someone's neck. Good point. That might be it. That might be the, the one thing that proves manslaughter. But I don't I, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't see how that could be felony murder. Minnesota sentencing guidelines recommend 12 to five years imprisonment. Ellison also charged the three other officers with aiding and abetting second degree murder. Bail for Chauvin, who did not enter a plea, was set at 1.25 million. And for the three other officers, 1 million. Prior to Chauvin's arrest, the attorneys and prosecutors had made unsuccessful attempts to negotiate a plea bargain to cover both state and federal charges. The day before his arrest, Chauvin's wife of almost 10 years filed for divorce. Now, on that note, I think filing for divorce had more to do with protecting her from the from the mobs, and it provided some kind of cathartic win for the rioters in the far left. Now, one of the reasons they were kneeling on him was that Chauvin apparently was concerned about excited delirium. Well, according to Wikipedia, I know it's an aggregate. It's not necessarily a, a perfect source. They say excited delirium is not recognized by several professional medical organizations, including the APA, the AMA and the World Health Organization. Keep that in mind. But it has been accepted by the National Association of Medical Examiners and the American College of Emergency Physicians, who argue in a 2009 white paper that excited delirium may be described by several codes within the ICD-9. Basically, they say excited delirium is a clinical diagnosis, dosis, a clinical diagnosis with symptoms including delirium, psychomotor agitation, and hyperandrogenic adrenergic autonomic dysfunction. I am not a doctor. The diagnosis was not in the 2013 Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5 or the 1992 International Classification of Diseases. The general idea is that it's, you know, people will get, what, what do they say? They say delirium, sweating, attempts at violence, unexpected strength, very high body temperature. Complications may include rhabdomyolysis or high, high blood potassium. Okay. Maybe, maybe Chauvin was wrong. He thought this guy was going to, you know, he was, he was concerned about excited delirium. So they, they put him down and he absolutely should not have been kneeling on this guy's neck. And based on what I've seen, although, you know, Floyd was resisting, I don't believe that he was resisting to the extent where he was trying to flee or anything. They could have just held him next to the vehicle, you know? So, Hey, I'm not going to pretend to know what these cops should or shouldn't have done, but I will say what they did resulted in the death of an individual, and now they'll be resp- and now they are responsible for this. But I will also point out, the Washington Times says 
The report also found that other significant factors, including his underlying health conditions. Mr. Floyd suffered from heart disease, and that he also exhibited fentanyl intoxication and recent methamphetamine use. Well, listen, man, when we talk about the charges against Chauvin, we are not talking. uh, What we're talking about is a reasonable doubt. Perhaps the jury pool will be tainted in Minnesota. Maybe they'll move venues to try and get an impartial jury. I don't think anybody in this country is ignorant to the details uh, to varying to, to some degree, right? I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't already hear about the story. And perhaps he won't even be able to get a fair trial. And that's going to be another problem for prosecutors because you have a constitutional right. I think that Chauvin ultimately did some wrong, but it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. I'm asking the question about reasonable doubt. You must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Derek Chauvin created an unnecessary risk and that he you know, was, was engaging in third degree assault, then, you, then, then if, you, if you can't prove any of those, how do you claim that these other cops were engaging in you know, aiding and abetting murder? That's why I think this footage may now actually get these cops off. They may ultimately be exonerated. But I'll tell you what, man, if there's anything I've seen from this, we desperately need police reforms. Not in the way that the far left has been going about, going about them with defunding and with abolishment and with attacking the moral character. It's simply saying, you know what, man? I personally understand the circumstances in which these cops were worried or scared enough that they'd want to pull out their weapon when approaching this vehicle. And that was a very, very stupid mistake. It should not have been done. And it ended in Floyd freaking out. Then you had Floyd who, who you know, it's, it's, it's listen, to, ver- to a certain degree, it's not the responsibility of, of, of the, the populace when the authority, okay, look, if you want to have respect for authority, they're the ones who need to understand how to deal with these circumstances. And you know, we often have these situations where it's like the cop feared for his life. So we understand, well, what about George Floyd fearing for his life when a gun was pointed in his face? Clearly he's going to act. He's going to freak out. We argue that cops fearing for their lives, you know, with, and these are guys with training will accidentally kill people or, you know, you know, create unintended risks. What about the civilian population? They have no training. All they know is this guy sitting in his SUV. He wasn't fleeing. He went and bought some snacks or cigarettes or something. And then he's sitting in his SUV. He didn't speed off anywhere. I think it's a strong possibility. He didn't even know he was using a counterfeit $20 bill. And therein lies the big problem. Ultimately, I think manslaughter has, is, the, is the only count that may actually stick. But the video may look. Here's what it comes down to. The officers don't know about the circumstances. We can look back at all the footage and all the news and all the information and say, here's what I think will happen. Ignore that. What, comes, what it comes down to is the cops got a call. They walk up to an SUV. Here's a guy. The cop probably feels threatened to some degree. And then all of this just, just falls apart. It's easy to look back with, with hindsight, with all the news reporting, to know that George Floyd wasn't fleeing and that based on all the information, I think it's possible he didn't even know he had a counterfeit 20, in which case he would have been released. He didn't do anything wrong. But all of this fell apart because I think there can be some reasonable reforms to make sure that police feel safer in these circumstances. I don't know, man. You know what? I got to be honest there. It, it may be wishful thinking because what can you really do? Can we do civilian training programs? to let them know how to, you know, to, to properly respond to police and protect their rights? Do we better, do we do better police trainings? But then how do you stop a cop from fearing for his life, even in a situation where his life may not have been at risk? I don't know, man. I know that these are very tough questions. 
And I know that this is likely to re, uh, lead to more contentious fighting among the tribes and all that stuff. And I'll leave it with this, man. The left is going to say it proves murder. The right is already saying it proves we were lied to and Floyd was resisting. And I'll just tell you this, man. Floyd was clearly scared. I'd be scared too if someone pointed a gun in my face. And it's happened. I don't, I didn't freak out. I didn't panic in, in a similar way. And I'm fortunate enough to have had parents who told me how to navigate these situations. You shut up, you comply, you deal with it later through, through the legal system and you win. And George Floyd clearly didn't understand this or he was scared or, you know, they mentioned he had fentanyl in his system and he had underlying health conditions. So he was, he was out of it. Ultimately, there's, there's a fair point to be said about drawing your weapon on somebody, but it's also important that people note the nuance of the circumstance, why the cops behave they do, what people should do in the situations, the fact that we don't educate people the best way to, to deal with police, to work with police, to navigate the situations. And then it leads to, it leads to chaos with two sides arguing who is right morally and who was wrong. Look, man, personally, it is frustrating to watch George Floyd resist when it's like, dude, I understand. But after they put the gun away and they cuff him and they're walking away, just sit down, calm down and, and stay quiet. But he freaked out the whole time. And again, I can understand why. Ultimately, it leads to a death that shouldn't have had to happen. And now I think based on this footage, I think the, the cops are going to get released. I, I Maybe a mistrial because of the jury problem. We'll see. But I think when you watch this footage, it shows that I don't, I don't believe there was an intent. Uh, I think it was just, I, I think it was just an unfortunate set of circumstances. If, if, if the cops are like, look, he's clearly resisting, they're going to be like, he was. And then the, 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 the I guess the other side, uh, the defense of George Floyd are going to say, yeah, but he's panicked and scared. That's true too. What do you do? I think then you see that the simple solution is some kind of better training reform. Because like I said, man, if George Floyd wasn't running away, then they could have held on to him and figured out a different way to deal with this. And maybe an ambulance would have stopped all of this. Before he said, I'm claustrophobic, I'm anxious, I don't want to get in. Okay, call in an ambulance, lay him down in a stretcher. He'll be in a much bigger space, right? I'm not going to pretend to be the expert. I can only tell you that this casts doubt. That's the important factor. This video casts doubt. The left probably won't want to hear it, but that's a fact. Okay, maybe not a fact. It's my opinion. I'm not a lawyer. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Carmen Best, the police chief in Seattle, is urging the city to do what's right and stand up against the tactics of peaceful protesters where they show up to the homes of these elected officials because they've been doing it for quite some time. They've gone to the uh, other council members' homes because they wouldn't support their defund the police initiative. And now they've kept going to the Seattle police chief. But guess what? Regular people ain't having this no more. Check out this tweet. This is from uh, at Mike Door Animated. He says, he's, uh, I'm not sure who he's with, but he says, protesters on their way to harass the Seattle police chief, Carmen Best, at her home, encountered locals who were not in the mood to host protests in their neighborhood. One protester yells, we are peaceful. You pointed a gun at my face. And the resident says, that's why you are peaceful. Bravo. I'll tell you what, man, regular people are starting to have a little bit. They're, 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 they're reaching their limit. Let's say, let's say that, right? They blocked the road to Carmen Best's home, just north of Seattle. And they came out with guns 
and told these peaceful protesters to GTFO. It'll be interesting to see what happens as more of these people go around to these other communities. But I'm going to tell you what, the bigger, I I really, really want to dive into this because I got to say, man, look, keep the peace, nonviolence, protect your property. I get all that stuff and respect to the people defending their neighborhoods. Showing up to the homes of these politicians is, I mean, it's a police chief way, way over the top. Let me tell you what, though. I think this is helping Donald Trump and more than anybody realizes. So this is the bigger picture because I got some other stories for you. It's not just about what's happening here in Snow. I believe it's called. I believe it's Snohomish. Yes, Snohomish County. What we're seeing is regular people saying enough in Rockford, Illinois. The DA straight up was like, nah, we're going to lock these people up. 17 people arrested. And now there's something else, too, because you may have seen the video I did earlier this morning about the George Floyd body camera uh, footage over on Reddit. For a while, one of the top posts was the leaked body camera footage. And the top comment is someone basically saying, yo, we've been lied to about all of this. And what do you think is going to happen when people start realizing what's really going on, when they start standing up? You know, I got to tell you what, man, I've complained a lot about how people won't stand up for themselves. So I tell you this. You must have you you must go to great lengths to get people to actually come out with their guns saying, get out. This is no longer about us tolerating the people romping about and destroying property and smashing things. This is about regular people saying enough. And that was the biggest mistake the left made by embracing and endorsing this stuff. But I'll tell you what else, man, when it comes to that George Floyd footage, it got leaked. That's right. It wasn't supposed to come out. Now the footage is released and people are turning on the narrative saying, yo, yo, wait a minute. Straight up, George Floyd shouldn't have died. It's a tragedy. But this is not the narrative we were fed. He's saying he can't breathe the whole time, basically. He asks to be to be held on the ground. What's going on here? That's not my opinion. That's I'm going to show you the top comment on one of the top Reddit posts. That's crazy to me because Reddit is is basically resistance anti-Trump across the board. But let's first read about why people are rising up, pointing guns at these peaceful protesters. I hope you realize I'm saying peaceful sarcastically, because some people are probably like, why is he calling them peaceful protests? Because they're not, because they're violent extremists. Seattle police chief says protesters targeted her home, urges city council to stand up for what is right. Seattle police chief Carmen Best wrote a letter to city to the city council after a group of protesters went to her Snohomish County residence. They say in her letter to the Seattle City Council, Best said her neighbors were concerned by the group, but they were successful in ensuring the crowd was not able to trespass or engage in other illegal behavior in the area, despite repeated attempts to do so. Best urged the city council to stand up for what is right and asked council members to call for an end to these tactics and used uh, used to target elected officials and civil servants. Because one of the things I have been warning about is that they're going to come to your homes. They will. They have. They're starting with the politicians. They're vandalizing their property. But you know what? Perhaps it's time to issue that. To be fair, to be fair, issue that warning in the other direction. If you keep doing this, you crazy protesters, peaceful, peaceful. People are going to come out with guns. We already saw it in St. Louis. Now we're seeing it in Seattle. But (laughs) now the interesting thing is, I wonder if Washington will go after these people the same way the McCloskey's, you know, ended up getting charged in, in Missouri. For something tells me, maybe not considering it was the chief of police who these people were targeting, but we'll see. I mean, actually, that's not fair. In in Missouri, they were targeting the mayor. So, you know, we'll see. Protesters 
that were there that night said they are disappointed in Chief Best's letter. They said they disagree that they were aggressive and instead said the aggressors were the neighbors best praised. All we were doing was walking and they met us with guns. I don't know who the aggressor is at that point, but I don't think it's us, said Nicole Gataka, a demonstrator with the Everyday March. Gataka and her fellow protesters say that it was less than 100 of them that went to the Snohomish County neighborhood and that they did not go there to destroy or cause trouble. No, it's only because they were stopped. It's that simple. Okay, these people peacefully march, then they tear down fences and they throw explosives. It's a peaceful demonstration. That's the joke. They go to the they go to the courthouse in Portland and they call it a peaceful demonstration. And then they provide a shield for the people throwing explosives. So when these people are chased away, we were peaceful. Sure. Would you have been later? I really doubt it. They said they were met by Best's neighbors who blocked the road and displayed guns. They said they attempted to talk to the neighbors, explain what they were doing there and get them to move out of the road. But they reportedly refused. The protesters ended up leaving the neighborhood when they felt unsafe. Nobody from us approached that situation with aggression. Nobody went there like we're going to mess up the neighborhood, said Kataka. Our main objective, the only thing we're, we're going to do was march down to Chief Best's house, make some noise, ask some questions and go, that's what's going to happen. Except when they went to the home of the other council members, they graffitied the house. And in Oakland, they also vandalized and graffitied the house. Should any of these people just take your word for it that you simply want to make noise? Not only that, the crazy thing is they said we're peacefully protesting and they're like, go peacefully protest somewhere else. I said this would happen. (laughs) I did, though I didn't really issue a warning as I have from many other issues like the far left extremists. But I'll tell you what, man, we have a First Amendment in this country. You can peacefully protest for the most part anywhere that's public property. However, Regular people who live in these neighborhoods don't care what you think your rights are, even if you do have the right to march down the street. Keep in mind, back in the day, the ACLU defended the Klan who wanted to march through Skokie, Illinois. In fact, these people walking have a right to peacefully protest. Regular people, residents, non-political actors don't care. That's the point. When you see the violence that we have seen over the past several months, You think any of these people are going to take your word for it or care about your right to protest? They're not. And it's a shame it is because I think the right to protest is important. I'm sorry, though, man. If these people are getting violent, vandalizing property, I'm not surprised local residents were like, get out. It's not an issue of the government doing this. These are people doing this. I don't know what you can expect to happen next following that. If you go to someone's house and you cause trouble, then people are going to come out and they're going to get mad at you. They're going to tell you to GTFO. For the most part, Council members did not publicly respond to Best's request, except council member Tammy Morales, who objected to Best's neighbors confronting the protesters. I take exception to the response by our police chief, who celebrated that her neighbors met with these young people with guns. Protesting at leaders' homes has been happening for years, but the protests have grown in recent months in the wake of the national protests of the killing of George Floyd. And now we get interesting. With the release of this footage, I wonder what public sentiment is starting to become. I mentioned this in my earlier segment. Of course, many leftists are saying this proves he was murdered. I think regular people are realizing it's much more complicated than that. And the narrative being fed was wrong. And this is going to make it so that in these circumstances, regular people are going to start siding with other regular people. So let me break this down. You've got this situation where these Black Lives Matter protesters have been showing up to people's houses. You, you see this video. You know, so you've got regular people, right? 
They're not paying attention. They're, wa- they're not watching the news. They're just angry that they can't go to you know, the mall and hang out with their friends and they can't go to the movies. So they're a little frustrated, but they don't follow this stuff. And then they see this video and it kind of breaks the narrative. I say kind of because, you know, there's still some things about it to be criticized, but it definitely shows George Floyd's resisting. And all of a sudden now they're like, whoa, that wasn't true. What were all the protests for? Then they see these people come out with guns saying, get away from our property. And they're like, maybe, maybe everything else was wrong. Maybe it'll make them question the narrative they're being fed about these peaceful protests. Last week, local tribes denounced the continued protests at the home of council member Deborah Juarez, who was one of the two council members who did not commit to a 50% defunding of police. Juarez, who is a member of the Blackfeet tribe, is the only Native American council member. In June, Seattle City Council member Kshama Sawant joined a large group of protesters outside the now disbanded Capitol Hill organ, the, the Chaz, you know, the Chaz. In a statement, Snohomish County Sheriff Adam Fortney said he was notified of a group of about 200 protesters at Best's residence in unincorporated Snohomish County around 8.30 p.m. Saturday. He said he spoke with Best on the phone, who was not at home at the time. I assured Best that the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office would deploy whatever resources were necessary to protect her, her family, and her property. Fortney said in the statement, I am pleased to report this group decided to disperse and there were no other incidents. Fortney added that the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office has been supportive and accommodating to all peaceful demonstrations, but said protesters targeting an individual's home is a bullying tactic. If this group or any a bullying tactic, I'm sorry, man, it's a terrorism tactic. Now, it may be the lowest tier possible, but it is. They're showing up to politicians' home, the, the police chief's home, to threaten them and demand from them. Okay, if you're going to demand political things, you know, to push an agenda, some social cause, and you're going to threaten people and go to their homes, vandalizing their property, I'm sorry, it's terrorism. Again, perhaps the lowest possible tier of it. But a bullying tactic? Step it up, man. It's worse than that. If this group or any other group wants to protest the government, we would ask they do so at a government building and not any individual's private residence. This is not the first time protesters targeted the homes of law enforcement or elected officials. And they go on to mention these things have happened in the past. But I want to show you this and I want to talk to you about how local communities are starting to deal with this. Let me let me, let me take you now to good old Rockford, Illinois. Now, if you're from the Chicago area, then you know about good old Rockford, just due west of the city. Rockford police make 17 arrests following Friday and Saturday protests. And the local news outlet published all of their fa- their pictures and information and everything. They're not playing games in the same way that we see, you know, up in the Northwest, where these people don't get charged, they get cut loose. They say Rockford authorities announced charges against 17 people arrested at protests in downtown on Friday and Saturday. The First Amendment is very clear, said Winnebago County State's attorney, Marilyn Height Ross, saying, all Americans have the right to peace, peaceably assemble. It does not give unbridled freedom to infringe on the rights of others. Here, here. On Friday, several protesters were arrested after blocking traffic on East State Street near the Rockford City Market Pavilion. Individuals were infringing on the rights of others to have safe passageway on roadways within the county. Winnebago County Sheriff Gary Car- uh, Caruana added, you have the right to protest, but the second that becomes unlawful becomes criminal. We're going to stop that situation from happening. And let me tell you what. I agree. When you block a roadway, okay, I think that is acceptable nonviolent civil disobedience. Congratulations. You will now be arrested and removed. 
And activists used to say that was a badge of honor. You, you made your point. You know, people came out. They saw your action. They were mildly inconvenienced. Now they know about your cause and peaceful demonstrations like this work. You get arrested for it, of course. They're minor charges, but good. It's also good to see that they're actually dealing with this, unlike the Pacific Northwest, where they let people dance on the highway for, what, 20 plus days. At least at least some areas, I guess, take care of this. But, you know, look, to be honest, Rockford, Rockford is not Seattle. I'm sure that these more rural areas are much more conservative leaning and have a low tolerance for this ridiculous nonsense. But to be fair, there's a there's a, a much smaller population. But you see these stories and you start to wonder what regular people are thinking about this. And I'm going to show you the update we have here. This this to me is important in the context of the news today, but more importantly, in the context of what they're doing to the Seattle police chief's house and other council members in the name of George Floyd. These protests are carried out. Wikipedia calls it the George Floyd protests and then mentions 30 people have died so far. Okay, if you're going to include the riots, call it a riot. Don't call it a protest and say, yes, there was mass rioting and murder, but they're still just protests. No, 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 no. Call them riots. Okay, they're riots. Now, check this out. Actual public freakouts. I noticed this. Not the biggest subreddit on Reddit, not the biggest forum, but it was the top post briefly. It's got 49,894 upvotes, 80% upvoted. That to me is insane. That says to me that most of these people who are seeing this weren't subscribers to this one subreddit. It hit the top of Reddit. At least that's where I saw it. Leaked George Floyd body cam footage. And I wonder what good old lefty Reddit has started to realize when this footage got leaked. Check this out. This user says he didn't deserve to die for sure. But this actually makes me feel a lot less angry about the situation. I don't know why people can't follow simple, basic instructions. I genuinely don't understand it. Shut the F up and do what you're told and you'll be fine. All that hollering and crying and discussion is unnecessary. If you've already been shot before in a similar situation, why won't you comply again? F the cops for murdering him, but I'm not sure how this guy made it as long in this world as he did when he's that that incapable of following the most basic instructions. Yikes. It's true, man. George Floyd was resisting, was. And I said it in my earlier segment, I believe it will cast reasonable, cast uh, reasonable doubt, meaning these cops are likely going to get off unless, of course, there's a political prosecution, which which may be very likely. But I'm not here to rehash that whole segment. I'm here to point out a top post on Reddit with 19. What is it? Was it? We got two, three, four, five. Or no, I'm sorry, six. You've got nine plus 19, 28, 28 Reddit awards on that post saying, why wouldn't he just follow the instructions? And I can already hear the cries from Antifa. Shut up, you bootlicker, you bootlicker. That's what they say over and over again. Dude, there's a big difference between a cop following up on a probable cause, uh, you know, probable cause claim and telling you out of the vehicle, hands on your head, you're going to be detained and questioned and all that stuff. And someone coming and violating your rights, literally like by, you know, punching you in the face, throwing you to the ground, pepper spraying you and you didn't do anything wrong or coming to your house, taking your weapons or arresting you on bogus charges. I can't stand when we, we I see these guys in, in, in New Jersey getting arrested And I'm seeing so many people be like, well, don't blame the cops now. They're just doing their jobs. That is bootlicking. The cops are literally breaking the law, falsely falsely arresting people. 
Okay, you've got cops breaking the law, seizing weapons from people. When you defend them, yeah, okay, sure, I'll call that bootlicking. Now, if you want to talk about the police as a whole, now I'll defend the institution of policing and talk about some real reforms and maybe some, you know, new idea, uh, new ideas. Maybe in, uh, we could we could develop new methodologies and technologies to improve policing. They talk about abolishing and defunding police is insane. What we should talk about is reform, and we don't start by attacking and insulting and tearing down our departments. We talk about fixing the problems. And if you want to do a community outreach program with social workers, you create that alongside it. It's so it's not so hard, is it? Anyway, here's the point. Regular people are now watching this and they're starting to realize something. They burn down buildings. They throw bricks through windows. They protested and rioted across this country. For what? For what? I get it, man. George Floyd shouldn't have lost his life. But you watch this footage and you start to you start to realize, man, they lied to us, didn't they? He did resist. He's in the back of the vehicle and he pushes his way out saying, just hold me on the ground. Just hold me on the ground. Just hold me on the ground. So they did. I wish he didn't lose his life. But now we, we learn later, not only did he have a heart condition, he had drugs in his system and he was resisting and he said, hold me on the ground. How are you going to prove reckless indifference, you know, uh, um, you know, or, or, or whatever? You're definitely not going to prove murder. So now people are seeing that. And while we can recognize it was a tragedy and shouldn't have happened, think about everything that came afterwards. And I'm going to tell you what, man, some people are saying, look, look at this one. Here's a good one. This is here's another comment. This is going to end up being like hands up. Don't shoot all over again. Black Lives Matter can't catch a break. O2 on catchphrase is being based on lies. This person said, well, well-being uh, on th- well-being on three different drugs will make you act insane. He died of a heart attack. They found him to have advanced heart disease. The medical examiner noted that there was no damage or bruising to his neck or windpipe, and he did not suffocate. I'm not saying that's true. Full, full clarification. I am showing these comments to show you what Reddit users are saying on a top voted post on the front of the website. They're saying they don't believe it. They're saying that hands up, don't shoot was fake. Someone said BLM is a case study on mob rule based on knee jerk reactions. Look at all of these awards. People are paying. You know, awards work. You give money to Reddit for no reason. Just to give somebody awards, the dumbest thing ever, if you were to ask me. And all these people saying, righteous, noble cause that makes sense philosophically, but gets co-opted for political ends, then leads to mob rule. Yeah. Well, I bring it back to what we're seeing in Seattle to make one big point about all of this. Regular people are having enough. And I believe this shows there there's a silent majority. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Donald Trump did this interview with Axios and it was bad. It wasn't good. Now, props to him for doing it. Joe Biden would never do this. And the journalist interviewing Trump, oh, was he cringy, the snootiest snoot. Oh, man. He's like, "Mm, what's this? Oh, you're going by these numbers? Mm, Well, you're wrong. Like, that's how he was acting. And I'm just like, oh, cringe. I can look at Trump and I'm like, oh, geez, man. Trump is just, he's not prepared for this. But the journalist was just so elitist and snooty and condescending. It was awful. It was awful. Anyway, anyway, the point is, I don't, I'm not convinced when it comes to the silent majority that a large portion of them are voting for Trump because they literally think he's the best president or they like him. All that matters is you see stories like this and people start saying, with all of the chaos and violence, do I want Joe Biden? Trump can talk like a moron. He can say dumb things. He can flop an interview. It doesn't matter because he'll come out and say, but you know what? I'm the law and order president. And they're going to be like, 
Yeah, he's got a point. Joe Biden ain't going to do it. So this is what I see. Now, I could be I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to predict what's going to happen in November because, well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think we're going to have an election night. I don't think there's going to be a day where anybody knows who the president is. And it's going to be insane. So I hope y'all are getting ready for whatever that's going to be like. I have no idea. But I, I see stories like this. These are regular people coming out with guns, telling the protesters to GTFO. We already saw it with the McCloskeys. We see it again and we will see it again. And then we'll see how these people vote. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at TimCast.net. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all then. Unfortunately, polling tells us very little about what's going to be happening in November because all of these different companies have their own methodology. And sometimes they're literally just saying, we asked a bunch of people, here's what we think. And in order to really know, you got to just have the election, I guess. Donald Trump changed the face of voting in this country by lighting up parts of the country that normally didn't vote. That was a big factor in 2016. I met tons of people who said they never voted before. And now it seems like we're seeing something similar. Axios reports Trump is registering more new voters than Democrats in key states. This is big news and really good news for Trump. They say the Trump campaign and RNC have now registered 100,000 new voters in the 2020 cycle, more than doubling their numbers from 2016 and shrinking Democrats' registration advantage in key swing states, according to new Trump victory data provided exclusively to Axios. Why it matters? Democrats still have more active registered voters in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida, but Republicans have managed to narrow the margins in those states by tens of thousands of voters since 2016. They say, Trump won Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida, Arizona, and Iowa in 2016. But former Vice President Joe Biden is currently ahead in the polls in all but Iowa, according to 538. But Republicans have narrowed the voter registration gap in key swing states, according to Axios' review of those states' records. Now, here's what I want to say before we read more. What's important is that although there are more registered Democrats, Trump narrowing that gap means probable victory, in my opinion, at least in these states. And let me show you why. If we go back to 2016 and we take a look at the uh, 2016 presidential vote by demographic subgroup, subgroup, we can see Democrats made up 37 percent of the vote. Republicans made up 33 and independents made up 31. Republicans were four points down. uh, Republicans were four points down compared to Democrats, meaning if Trump was able to win with with 4% less of the vote than the Democrats had, then it stands to reason if he's narrowing this gap, registering more voters, then he's likely going to do really, really well this election cycle. And it's also other states, including Nevada. San Francisco Chronicle reports Nevada Republicans gain more voters in July than Democrats. Once again, more good news for the president. Let's keep reading over at Axios. They say, Republicans have lessened the margin by 133,000 registered voters in Pennsylvania and 87,000 voters in Florida. Republicans have also chipped away at Democrats' advantage in the toss-up state of North Carolina, gaining a net 216,410 voters since Election Day 2016. Meanwhile, in Arizona and Iowa, Trump victory has managed to slow voter registration momentum behind Democrats. In Iowa, the number of registered Democratic voters surpassed Republicans in March, But Republicans recently took back the advantage. Democrats had been outpacing Republicans in Arizona as well. But since April, Republicans have overtaken them. Now, it's important to note 
It could just be that independent voters who supported Trump in the last election have since registered as Republicans. And we may see Trump still hit comparable numbers in terms of how many people vote for him. We'll see. I think the polls are ultimately meaningless at this point, but these numbers do bode well for Trump. All I can really say is, look, if you ignore the polling data, because it really does seem biased, they're still getting more registered voters. They say the coronavirus has drastically changed the voter registration game. Activists and volunteers typically focus their efforts on big events, college campuses, or other crowded locations, but crowds are rarer in a pandemic. 45% of voter registration applications come from the DMV, but even those have been shut down or offer limited services because of the virus in many states. What to watch, says Axios. This comes as President Trump continues to rail against mail-in voting. Many Republican leaders privately admit that absentee ballots are needed to ensure registered Republican voters actually vote, particularly older white voters. And this is true. I, I think there is a serious risk here. We have a lot of data suggesting it's going to be, I'll just call it a mess. But if people are scared to go out because of the coronavirus, well, then Trump's not going to get those votes unless they can vote by mail-in ballot. Here's a quote. As enthusiasm for President Trump continues to grow, so does the Republican Party. Over 100,000 new voters are ready to cast their ballot for four more years of President Trump's promises, promises made, promises kept agenda, and elect Republicans up and down the ballot on November 3rd, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said in a statement. Our registered voters have, have to actually cast a ballot in order to make a difference, however. Across the battlegrounds, the Biden-DNC coordinated campaign is crushing Republicans in key field metrics, like vote-by-mail requests, registration, and turnout. And we're going to keep our foot on the gas so we ensure Trump is a one-term president. David Bergstein, DNC director of Battleground State Communications, told Axios. Yeah, well, over in Nevada, while they just enacted universal mail-in voting, Biden wants to say that across the board they're doing well, but at least in Nevada, this is good news for Trump. They're signing mail-in voting. Donald Trump called it scandalous. There may be legal action. At the same time, he's saying Florida is safe and secure. There's concern among Republicans that Trump ragging on mail-in voting means older voters won't turn out. Well, in Nevada, I I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen in that regard. In Nevada, where there is mail-in voting, something that Biden thinks he's winning on, Nevada Republicans gain more voters than Democrats. SF Chronicle says more Nevadans registered as Republicans last month than Democrats, according to numbers released by the state elections office Monday. Nevada Secretary of State Barbara Kigavsky reported that the GOP gained 6,580 active registered voters in July, while Democrats added 5,718 voters. Democrats still hold a statewide voter registration advantage over Republicans in Nevada, comprising 38% of all registered voters. Republicans make up 33%, while unaffiliated voters are 23%. Now, this is interesting because it is very similar to the 2016 numbers we saw. If Donald Trump is maintaining comparable numbers relative to the nationwide vote, then I would assume that he's going to win with similar margins in similar places, right? There's a lot of things we have to consider, especially with COVID sending people out of cities. Some people are concerned that because of the coronavirus and the riots, people are fleeing big cities to rural areas, and that will bring liberals from the cities to conservative areas. I do not believe so. The first people to leave these cities amid the Black Lives Matter riots and coronavirus, likely to be wealthier, likely to be Republican. I don't think it's the leftists going, oh, no, there's big leftist protests. They're probably going, yay, and going and joining them. 
Republicans were probably right off the bat like, I am getting out of here, which means as these Republicans, and this is my opinion and speculation, leave these urban areas, move to suburban areas, they will turn suburban swing districts into solid Republican districts, solidifying Trump's chance of victory. They say overall, there are more than 1.6 million active registered voters in Nevada. Inactive registered voters are voters who generally do not have a current address on file with their county election office, but they are still eligible to cast ballots. Now, there's no reason uh, to, to expect massive changes, at least again, in my opinion, when we compare 2016 to 2020, it's only been four years. But the youth vote could play a role. There's a lot of younger voters who are going to be voting for the first time, which is why I want to take a look at this demographic for 18 to 24 year olds. They made up 10 percent. Interestingly, however, 25 to 29 year olds in 2016 made up 9%, 19% between 18 to 29 year olds, a very important demographic for the Democrats particularly. However, 50 to 64 year olds make up 30% and 65 and older make up 15%, 40 to 49 make up 19. Look, younger voters skewed skewed Democrat. We can see it right here. The 18 to 39 was favored in, you know, the Democratic Party, they favored the Democratic Party. I don't think that's going to change. I think as people get older, their opinions change. And I think as we have seen more and more violence, their opinions are going to change. And there's another big factor at play here, as we mentioned, the coronavirus. How many people are going to blame Trump for the coronavirus like the media likes to pretend they, they do? I don't think they do. The coronavirus is an act of nature. I don't blame him for it. And we had a great economy under Trump before the coronavirus. That says to me right now, who are you going to blame? Democratic governors. It's Cuomo. It's Phil Murphy. It's, it's New Jersey and New York where they're stuffing COVID patients in nursing homes, literally killing people. It's these states that are enforcing these hardcore shutdowns. It's Phil Murphy in New Jersey who's arresting business owners for trying to bring their businesses back, trying to, to rebuild what was taken from them. Donald Trump did not demand a mass lockdown of all these businesses. That was the Democrats. What a lot of people at the national level, these, these, these journalists and pundits don't recognize is that at the local level, people take these things seriously. Where I live, there's a lot of conversation about local politics. And I've seen stories, like even CNN has talked about this. The beat reporters mentioned that there are certain areas that vote for Trump nationally, but vote for Democratic Congress people locally. These people, these journalists at the national level don't seem to understand the conversations that we have in our districts, and I'm sure it's the same is true for many of you, is like, what did our congressperson do? What did Trump do? And who are we, we, who are we really mad at? Let me tell you, I'm not mad at Trump. I'm mad at Phil Murphy. Phil Murphy is a disaster for the state of New Jersey. And because of this, I'm leaving. And many other businesses are leaving too, those that can. Am I going to hold it against Trump? No, I'm holding against the guy who literally locked things down. So you got to imagine that there are certain younger people who probably started doing really, really well until Cuomo, de Blasio, other Democrat state governors and politicians shut them down. While some of them may blame Trump, I think many of them are going to blame the Democrats to keep that in mind. And and I'm bringing up all these points because I'm talking about how the idea of polls don't matter at this point. What matters is what is being done. More registered voters for Republicans and the Democrats are the ones who locked things down, causing this strife for people. More speculation, I guess. I really have no idea, but stick around. I got more segments coming up. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see on the election, but I got, I got more stuff on Trump in the election. This next one's going to be annoying. We're going to talk about Axios again. All right, I'll see you in a few minutes.
Fact checking the fact checkers. You may have seen the Jonathan Swan interview with Donald Trump. I'm sorry, I could barely watch it. I could not handle Jonathan Swan's attitude. Oh man, it was mind numbingly infuriating. A lot of people are saying that Donald Trump did terribly in this interview. And guess what? He did. Donald Trump did not do well at all. He had terrible answers. I only watched a few of these clips and I was just like, wow, Trump didn't do a good job. But guess what? It doesn't matter. People aren't voting for Donald Trump because he's a a master debater. They're not voting for him because he has all the answers on the hotspot. They're voting for him because of the problems of the Democrats. They're voting for him for the things he has talked about, and has supported, not the things that journalist Jonathan Swan would catch him on. Now, Donald Trump made a ton of mistakes. Look, when it came to COVID, Trump should have just said to Swan, I understand the numbers are bad. Absolutely. I mean, my heart goes out to the families, to these people. We're trying our best. I mean, trust me when I say this, but you do need to recognize that at the state level, you have governors, you have mayors, you have senators, you have local politicians that are in, that are the ones dealing with this in your communities. And at the federal level, there isn't all we, a lot we can do to change what these local politicians do. That should have been Trump's answer. Now, now, look, fine. It's easy for me to armchair debate a journalist, but I will tell you what I could not stand. Jonathan Swan snooty. Oh, no, you're wrong. What? No. Oh, oh. I'll tell you what, man. Some people have said that this is not going to move any voters. I disagree. I think there'll be some people that look at Trump and they roll their eyes, but those people probably already don't like Trump. Like I mentioned, the people who support Trump do it because they think he defends them. And he does. Trump stands up for, for many. For, he stands up for this country. And there are people who like that he's saying it. And there's some people who like that don't like the, the way he talks. But ultimately, there are people who like Trump and trust him. But I will tell you what I can't stand. It's the elitist snooty media. Their behavior, their attitude, their I'm smarter than you. This interview rang so similarly to when they ragged on Trump for eating a, a, a well done steak with ketchup. I kid you not. It was back in the 2016 cycle. Donald Trump eating a well done steak with ketchup. <laughs> what stupid peasants would eat trash food like this? And it infuriates me. It infuriates me. Perhaps there's the, I, I never I never should have ended up at any of these media companies. I don't fit the bill. I'm not some upper middle class, upper class progressive whose parents paid their bills while I lived in New York. So I could intern at one of these one of these mainstream media companies. I'm somebody who is an entrepreneur who built something and then took an offer for a company. So my attitude came from a different place. It came from the gutter. It came from the working class. And I saw how these people act and I see how these people act and I cannot stand them. They think they're smarter than you. They're the arbiters of truth. They know all of the answers. And (laughs) you're just so dumb. Oh, what was that, Trump? Oh, mm, you're looking at case numbers. You're wrong. I can't stand the snooty attitude. I'm sorry. When they talked about Trump with a well-done steak with ketchup, you know what I thought of? I thought of back when I was a kid and we got the garbage T-bones from Walmart and we cooked them well done and slopped ketchup on it. Every so often, we got to have a good piece of meat when, when, when my family could afford it. But we weren't rich. No, we were lower class, lower middle class, depending uh, on on a good day. And sometimes we get lucky and we would have a nice cut of meat. So when I saw Donald Trump eating a well done steak with ketchup, I didn't care. I understood he was at a fancy restaurant, but the media ripped him to shreds. And you know what regular people heard when they saw that? They're sitting there eating their well done steak from Walmart with ketchup. 
and they see on the news them mocking Trump for it. And they're going, what are we? I, this, I, that's how I eat my steak. You know why we used to eat, eat, eat these steaks well done with ketchup? Because they're cheap cuts. OK, it's not the best meat in the world. Now, my family did their best. And periodically, my dad would come back with some excellent, you know, choice cuts of the finer filet mignon. But that was a rare occasion. So sometimes you get that treat. Not like these upper middle class, upper class kids whose parents pay their bills so they can live in New York City with no salary and no wages, an unpaid intern at the New York Times. That's why I can't stand these journalists. So they produce this big list of all the things Trump is wrong about. And of course, they're wrong, too. They're right about some things. Trump was wrong about a lot of things. But that, I just needed to get that off my chest, man. I couldn't watch it. This dude, you know what, man? You know who won this interview? It's Jonathan Swan. Okay, Mike Cernovich tweeted out the social blade metrics for Swan, and he is skyrocketing in followers. Yeah, I'm sure the resistance types who love the ivory tower and love watching these snooty elitists snoot their way through an interview probably loved it. Look at him smack down Trump with his condescending demeanor. I couldn't stand it. It was annoying. Trump came off as, in my opinion, inept and unprepared. But so what? So what? I can't blame the guy for not being good at, at, at doing interviews. I just say, wow, wow, Trump looks bad. But you know, you know what I can absolutely hate is elitists in media who just act like they're better than you. That's why I couldn't take it. I just could not watch past a few minutes. I watched a couple of these clips and I was done. Here's what CNN says. Jonathan Swan, a reporter for Axios, has revealed the magic words that expose President Donald Trump's lies for what they are. Who? What? How? No. They show you just how awful this interview was. They say that this most of the people who interview Trump are right wing sycophants who have no interest in challenging him. Oh, shut up. Chris Wallace interviewed Trump. They had a decent back and forth. Trump looked bad on some things, good on some things. People didn't like Chris Wallace in some regard, but that was an interview at least. Chris Wallace got some things wrong. Trump got some things wrong. I appreciate that conversation. And I think Trump is brave for sitting down for these things. What do we get from Swan? Take a look at this. Trump says, you know, there are those that say you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Trump says, oh, just read the manuals, read the books. Manuals, what manuals? Trump says, read the books, read the books. What books? Swan was not engaging in any, any any real conversation. He was playing resistance adversary. Who? What? Why? When? How? You know what you need to say? Your goal as a journalist is to clarify statements. When Trump says there are those that say you can test too much, you do know that. Guess what? That's true. It has been said by many people, many many pundits, many journalists, many researchers point out the very obvious statistical fact that if you do a ton of testing, you will display a, a, a rapid increase in the amount of total cases. And that if you don't test at all, you'll be like, look, we have no cases. It's a numbers game. And there are many people who says it. Guess what? Am I going to single out individuals who have said it? No, that's ridiculous. And Trump could have done better and said, Excuse me, you want me to name all of the pundits, journalists and experts and statisticians who have said more testing results in more cases? That's frankly absurd. But Trump, perhaps he's not a good orator. I don't care. What I, what I don't like is this stupid, what, who, huh, come, mm, mm. snooty seventh grade, you know, seven, what is it, like a 10 year old girl snooty in the playground? Sorry, man. So here, 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 they basically point out, congratulations, I thought it was awful, the smug look. You know, I was talking to a friend who was, hates Trump, and they were like, what was up with that guy? His face, man. And I'm like, I know. You can tell I'm really riled up. I just, I can't stand these people, man. 
That was not an interview. Chris Wallace was an interview. Good on him for calling out Trump and doing a good job of it. Got, got some things wrong. And Chris Wallace went on to then call out Joe Biden. Good. Let me run through these points they say about Trump as quickly as I can. Here's the false claims they highlight for Trump. And guess what? Many of these are CNN lying. Surprise, surprise. An incident in Portland when Swan mentioned disturbing footage of people in fatigues beating a Navy veteran. Trump said no repeatedly and then said fake news. There was nothing fake about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. Trump is saying no, he's not going to engage. What happened was there was a fire. People were being dispersed and the Navy veteran refused to move. Did Trump say it never happened? He said no repeatedly and said fake news. You know what I see when I read that because I don't trust CNN. Trump is referring to the narrative, the framing of these guys just randomly beating somebody. No, they were beating a guy. They did hit him several times because he wouldn't disperse. And there's a fire right next to them. You can call it morally wrong and criticize them for it. But this is false framing. They just want to falsely frame what Trump is trying to say. And I'll, I, will, I will give the benefit of the doubt to everybody except CNN, NBC in Portland. Trump claimed Lester Holtz, NBC, misleadingly depicted the Portland mayor, Ted Wheeler, as a friend of the protesters. He was. CNN says, actually, the protesters were calling for his resignation. So what? Mayor Ted Wheeler went out and joined them and tried to placate them. And yes, has been very friendly with them, arguing on their behalf. It doesn't mean they like him, but he is friendly to them. The Portland courthouse. Here's this one's I love. They say Trump claimed it was a $600 million building. In fact, the courthouse reportedly cost $129 million in the 90s. By today's number, that's only $200 million, except for the escalation of property values, you morons. So Trump said it was a billion-dollar building. It could be. Based on the value of it today to build, not what you'd inflate the cost from one to another. It's just so dumb. Penalties for courthouse damage. I love this one. Trump says we have a 10-year rule. You knock it down, you try and knock it down, you get 10 years. So like, actually, the law has been around for a long time. It's not new. And the maximum penalty is 10 years. Yes. And Trump says the rule is they push for 10 years. Trump claimed we have cases of coronavirus because of the testing. That's true. If you don't test anyone, you will show no, 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 no cases at all. Get it? Many countries were criticized for this. So the U.S. is doing a ton of testing more than many other countries. So the numbers are going up. You want to argue the morality of it? That's fine. I'm telling you the fact. That's all that matters. South Korea's death toll. Trump was wrong about this. That's fine. U.S. presence in Afghanistan. And Trump was wrong about this. Trump claimed we're largely out of Afghanistan. But Swan mentioned that the numbers are largely the same. So Trump is wrong. Wow. How about that? Trump's 2016 margin. Trump accidentally says 223 instead of 232. I'm, I think that's so dumb to call it. What they call it uh, false claims. Come on, man. You, you see the game they play? Trump's lying. Trump's making false claims. No, Trump's just not the best orator, to put it mildly. Trump argued that absentee voting is fair, but other mail-in voting is not. They say there is no real difference. Wrong. With absentee ballots, you request an absentee ballot. And many states are trying to implement mail-in voting where they just send out ballots. I know because I've got one sitting in front of me that no one requested. CNN, come on, do your job. Trump claimed he put a ban on China and a ban on Europe. He imposed pandemic travel restrictions on both China and Europe, but neither was a full ban. Oh, now see, they're arguing semantics. Uh, you know, what? I'm not going to read this. I'm done. OK, you get the point. This is why I can't stand the media. And you know what? It's why I don't want to work there. And it's probably why so many of you can't stand them either, because 
Down in the gutter in the working class, we understand real conversations. We understand the, the, the imprecise nature of language very often, so we give the benefit of the doubt. But you know what I can't stand? The snooty attitude of the know-it-all journalists who think they're better than you. I will never, never feel good about that. And so you know what? This interview, it shows me that, he, that Donald Trump is, is fallible. God already knew that. So what? Mike Cernovich pointed this out when he was tweeting out Jonathan Swan's Twitter numbers. No one who wanted to vote for Trump is changing their position because of this interview. In fact, for me, I just hate the media that much more. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Sargon of Akkad made a video where he made a graphic of me wearing a MAGA beanie and said that I was on the Trump train and all this other stuff. And sure, sure. okay, Mr. Carl Benjamin Sargon of Akkad. Listen, I made a post on Facebook talking about how pending some very serious changes, which are likely coming up to the election, I'll be voting for Trump. What that means is I am not 100% committed. I have not hopped on with the MAGA bean or anything like that, and I will never wear one. It's that based on what the Democrats are doing and how insane things have gotten up, you know, in, in, in this year, I feel that there's literally nothing you can do but hold your nose if you're a liberal, someone like me, and vote for someone like Trump. Listen, watch the interview with Axios, and I, I ranted in, to, to no end about how I can't stand these snooty journalists, and I am not impressed with Trump's work. However, we are dealing with Joe Biden, who's completely incapable of doing anything. And Donald Trump, who I personally don't like, I think he is ill prepared for this in many ways, but he's done a good job in many areas. And so you know what? I will take what I can get, especially if it means Trump will be that strong voice pushing back against this. In Sargon's video, he made several points. He brought up things I mentioned, but there are many things that he left out that I think perhaps he doesn't understand about my position. So I, I respect and appreciate the, the sentiment and the video from uh, from Sargon. And I will add this. Bill de Blasio admits city skipped permit process to paint Black Lives Matter murals. This makes me very, very angry. What gives you the right to break the rules and prop yourself up using our institutions and our, our, our government to empower your political ideology while at the same time denying Blue Lives Matter their right to put their own murals. You opened the door for this. So let me tell you, Donald Trump, and he is not the kind of guy that I would normally ever consider voting for. I really hate voting against people, but we are talking about extreme circumstances, to say the least. You know, if it weren't for the violations of the Constitution, right? If it wasn't for the preferential treatment and the corruption of these Democrats, the arresting of small business owners, I wouldn't vote for Trump. The economy is doing well. If you gave me in a normal circumstance, let's, let's, let's imagine everything was normal, right? Let's, let's imagine 2020 hasn't happened yet. We're dealing with all the stupidity of the Democrats and all the things I've complained about. Guess what? I probably still wouldn't have voted for Trump. Guess what? I would not have. 2020 was a punch in my face, which means pending some very serious changes, I'll probably be voting for Trump. I don't know if I'll be voting for anybody else, to be honest, but I'll tell you this, man. I have seen small business owners across this country arrested. And not just in Democratic states. We had Texas too, but the Texas Supreme Court overturned that salon owner. In Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Today, 
in a Senate, in, in a Senate judi- uh, Judiciary Com- Committee hearing on Antifa, I watched a Democratic senator lie every word out of his mouth about Antifa on the far left. You know what I can't stand? You know what I do? I get these text messages from Democrats and they say things like, will you support us? Bernie is endorsing us. No, Bernie Sanders has betrayed the working class. And all of these progressives are going to be like, Tim is so dumb. Bernie never did that. Take a look at Bernie's platform from 2015 compared to today. And he is he is he has gone 180 on the issue. He has abandoned his past positions. Now they'll say, but he's evolved him. That's fine. I don't like him now. I think it's a betrayal. He used to talk about free trade agreements being bad. He used to talk about open borders being bad. Now, where is he? He's intersectional. He's fully on board with Democrats adopting a literal white supremacist ideology. That woman, as, as Sargon points out in his video, the Robin D'Angelo, white fragility woman, admits she's overtly racist. So why are you taking your cues from her? In California, the Democrats have voted both the Assembly and the Senate to repeal civil rights legislation. You all know I'm second generation mixed race. I am not going to stand for that. I get all these lefties saying, but Tim, you could pass for white. Shut up. I don't care. Don't tell me to disregard the rights of my family and what I have to consider for my future because you want to you want to you want to uh, repeal civil rights law. So here I am in the craziest year of my life looking at two people. Joe Biden is the worst you can possibly get. Man, is that guy trash. And you got someone like Donald Trump, really funny guy, great entertainer, in my opinion, ill prepared for what it takes to be the commander in chief. But at least he's pushing back at whatever it is these psychotic Democrats have become. Joe Biden has no spine. He's 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 a corrupt, crony establishment politician. I'd never vote for him. When 2016 came around, I saw the crony capitalist garbage of Hillary Clinton. I saw Bernie Sanders spit on the working class and totally just give in, endorse her, flip his positions. I was upset. And I saw Donald Trump, this boastful braggart guy who did not fit the office of the presidency. I love this country. I love the Constitution. And I said, Trump is not the man for the job. And it didn't vote. And you know what I think today? If these are the options we have, Donald Trump is the only thing apparently protecting us from the from these far left overt white supremacists. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Maybe you have seen the comedy sketch from Ryan Long. Definitely check him out. The dude's hilarious. The video went insanely viral. Woke and racist best friends where they make all of these very important points as to why I will not support the Democrats and why at this point I must do what I can to make sure they don't win. It's, 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 it's amazing to me that I find myself in this position that I've resisted my whole life, voting against something. However, I have to admit, Donald Trump is trying to withdraw forces from the Middle East. And in my personal opinion, my experience having co- covered stories related to this and having tracked a lot of the news around this, coming from an anti-war you know, progressive left when I was younger, I'm happy. I agree. Donald Trump talking about income disparity? Yeah, a bonus. I'm not convinced he's going to do anything. But the economy was great. And OK, I don't know what this is playing, so I'm not going to let it keep playing. Donald Trump was was running uh, our economy and it was fantastic and people were happy. And I don't like his 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 attitude. I don't. He did some foreign policy things I really didn't like, but he has improved. So I'll tell you this. While I on a scale of one to ten, with one being I don't like you and ten being I really, really love you. Donald Trump for me is like a four. Yeah, mm, nah, nah, eh, <laughs> no. So you know what? I am the kind of person who will walk into a voting booth, you know, face palm, shake my head and say, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. 
Listen, there, there is something about professional demeanor, preparedness, charisma, things that I think Donald Trump lacks. And you watch the Axios interview, you watch these interviews, and, you, and, and, and for me, I can see it. I can. And I am not, and, and I am anything but an elitist. I'm very populist, moderate, independent left. But Joe Biden is a corrupt elite. The people around him are corrupt. The establishment politicians around him are all corrupt. And I will not allow that. I'm sorry. Now, for the most part, guess what? I probably would have ignored it like I did in 2016. But what scares me now is the is that the left has become overtly white supremacist. And I mean that in in some kind of literal sense. Obviously, there's a colloquial understanding of, of words, semantic definite, you know, semantic arguments. Typically, when people say white supremacist, they're referring to some kind of, you know, neo-Nazi far right, whatever you want to call it. What I'm saying is you have now people I've known for years posting on Instagram saying they're calling for white racial awakenings and, and white collective action. And I'm like, what are you doing to my friends, my progressive friends? Like, whoa, 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 stop what you're doing. What are you doing? Why are you, ta- why are you trying to activate white racial uh, groups for collective action? Stop that. Stop doing that. We stopped that a long time ago. They're doing it. You get this Robin D'Angelo and this white fragility, this fringe psychotic behavior where they literally going they're in Louisville. They're shaking down businesses for cash. And I'm like, this needs to stop. Guess what? The Democrats bent the knee for it. The corporations are bending the knee for it. These are extreme circumstances. No, I don't want to vote for Donald Trump or any Republican. But guess what? I will take a Republican party that I disagree with over psychotic cultists any day. They went around painting uh, Black Lives Matter in the streets everywhere. And guess what? I don't care. You want to make the streets a public forum? The only thing I ask is you uphold equality under the law. Oh, what's that? They don't. De Blasio denies Blue Lives Matter. You can't do that. I do not want to live in a country where I will be treated as a second class citizen. And guess what? They say that California, what they do there is a prediction of what's to come in the rest of this country. Dear Lord, I hope not. There's a homeless problem. There's drug problems. But I will tell you this. Maybe I'm a bit selfish. But when they voted to repeal civil rights legislation, that was like, whoa, alarm bells, red flags. They must be stopped. I'm, I, I cannot allow that. When I tried explaining to my friend who's progressive why it's so horrifying to me that she is calling for white collective action as a progressive leftist for Black Lives Matter and why it's horrifying what California is doing, she says, I don't understand. How would these laws benefit you? we're going to do affirmative action. It'll be great. I said, no, it won't. No, it won't. Because I come from a mixed race family. That means it means that the white side of my family is negatively impacted by your psychotic racist policies. And the minority portion of my family is negatively impacted by the by the white identitarianism and the white collective action. Stop. I told her it is the progressives that fought that one loving v Virginia. And I'm I'm eternally grateful for that, that allowed cohabitation and ended these miscegenation laws. But you cannot now punish us when it was your policies that created generations of mixed race families. This is what they're doing. I consider it an existential threat to fundamental freedoms in this country. And you know what? I'll throw it back to this one video I saw the other day where this Infowars lady brought a black man to a Trump rally, a line of Trump supporters, and told them they were leftists and Black Lives Matter. And they hugged him and they shook his hands. And that's been my experience with Trump supporters. Some of them are racist, for sure. Of course they would be. In my experience, when I've met all these Trump supporters, it's been disagreeable. For the most part, we get along, we smile, we have dinner together, we laugh. I say Trump's a funny guy, but he's not for me. And they say, you know, one day maybe you'll come around, but whatever. 
That's, end, that's the end of it. I have friends who are Trump supporters and will argue and I'll be like, no, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about this, blah, blah, blah. And we'll talk and I'll talk about systemic racism and the problems. But what they're doing now, the left has gone just absolutely insane. So whatever, you know, this is a rant, but, I'll, but, I'll, but that'll be my response to the video from Sargon. I think what he missed is this. When we have widespread nationwide inequality under the law to this degree where they are painting political slogans for the far left cult in our streets and they deny equality to other groups, I am warning all of you how bad it will get. Something must be done. And I think Trump is the only one who will do it. In fact, I don't even know if he'll do it well enough, but at least that's him. So let me just reiterate the final point. I am not 100 percent convinced guaranteed to go and vote for Trump. That's not that's not true. What I can say is pending some ridiculous change. If it, if the vote were held today, I would vote for Trump. But we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. So I'm never going to be one of these diehards, you know, wearing a hat, marching around. And I will tell you this. I do not like him. It, it, it is it is it is policy related. It is it is capability is professional. But you need to understand that when I say I would go and vote for vote for him, I'm one of those people who would be holding my nose. Now, if you're one of those Trump supporters who loves the guy, you know, my buddy Adam really likes him. I don't. I don't, man. Look, I don't. But I'll tell you this. Trump is an American who loves this country. He has a bunch of ideas for this country. Many of them have worked. There's some things he, want to do that I, uh, he wants to do that I like. I personally don't think that means he should be president. But if this is the only thing we have to push back on whatever this insane cult is, I will take it. I will. And you better understand this to all the leftists who watch this video who say, shut up, Tim. We knew blah, blah, blah. Have you followed the threads of my video calling out Antifa violence? I've been doing that since 2011 when Antifa and the far left types were physically attacking me. I have always stood up for free speech, be it for the left or the right. I condemned the police attacking the chalkers that occupy Wall Street and the people, the pro-life people who wrote with chalk. I've always been about liberty and I have always been typically a social liberal. I believe we can have social programs to help minorities. And if you've got me to the point where I'm freaking out because you've lost your minds, then you better take that as a warning for what it means for many other people. No, they're going to say, Tim Pool is secretly right wing. Shut up. I don't care. That's the end. That, that's it. Okay. There you go. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out.